We're going to be over in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapter 30. 1 Samuel. We're going to be over there at the 30th chapter. There were some some things here that went on in the 30th. We've looked at this before a couple of times. We've been over here and this it's not a strange story to you. But we're going to take a look at this story from a different standpoint this time. And um, this is a story where David came back to Ziglag and it was all burned and they lost all the stuff. But we're going to see some things we need to pull out. And some things, when, sometimes we pull out the wrong things. And how we can go out there and pull out the right ones. One of the favorite verses from this chapter, we put it on your bulletin there this morning. But one of the favorite ones is that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now people like that. But how do you do that? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? I mean, that's a great phrase and the end result we love. How do you actually accomplish that? How did David accomplish it? And if we don't know how to accomplish it, if we don't know how to do it, that verse doesn't help us. We can say, strengthen yourself in the Lord all you want, but if you don't know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord, it's not really going to help you out. So we've got to know what it is we're, we're doing. You know, it's kind of like if people say, it's great to lose weight, but nobody tells you how. It's great to eat healthy, but nobody tells you how. Well, the results we like to see, but I, w- I want to know the how-to. So we're going to be looking at that here today and what we can do to, to pull those things Pull those things out. Last week, of course, we were looking at a scripture with Peter, how Peter had a dream. And just like Joseph had a dream, many people have gotten the wrong interpretation and the wrong meaning out of that dream. So we looked at its current or its correct interpretation, what it actually means for us, what it actually is supposed to affect in our life, so we get the right meaning of that. But you got to, just because God gives you a word, just because God gives you a scripture, just because God gives you a vision, just because God spoke to you doesn't mean you're getting everything out of it. Because what comes to your head instantly is probably wrong. It's probably not right. Now, we showed you in both of those instances what came to people's minds instantly was wrong. It's not what God was saying. But people went off with that and they'll, they'll miss the preparation that Joseph's dream was to, to do and the preparation that Peter's vision was supposed to do. We've got to make sure we... We stay with the Word of God. Because if you stay with the Word of God and you receive what God has for you, that's part of strengthening yourself. You'll be much more empowered if you come out with the right meaning than you would be if it was, if it was another way. So, let's head on over to First Samuel. Some of the things we talked about last week is how to activate our spirit. You've got to activate your spirit. And sometimes we think that we activate our spirit by praying in the Holy Spirit. That I'll sit there and I'll pray in the Holy Spirit and that'll activate the Spirit. That'll get me ready for, for ministry. And that's not necessarily true. Because if that was the case, then no one in the Old Testament could activate the Spirit, get themselves ready to, to minister in that way. And we saw many who did. And Peter wasn't up there on the rooftop praying in the Spirit. He was doing other things. So we looked at some of the other things he was doing. That if you're going to activate your Spirit instead of your head and minister out of your Spirit instead of ministering out of our head, that's where the effectiveness comes. That's what we want to be able to do. So we looked at some of the things that were involved with that last time. If we just pray from our mind, if we just pray from our head, say the same words, make the same request, we're not activating our spirit. We're reinforcing the dependence on our mind. We're reinforcing coming out with whatever comes into our head. We just do it. That's not how we minister by the, by the spirit. Now the Word of God says to renew your mind and it's a good thing to do. 
But what you want to receive from God comes from your spirit. God doesn't speak to your mind. He speaks to your spirit. Your spirit then feeds it to your mind. But He speaks to your spirit. God is spirit. Touches your spirit. You've got to build up your spirit. You've got to activate that. We gave you this part uh, last week to get out of the mental activation. Stop speaking the same words. If you go into prayer and every time you go into prayer, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, I thank you for this day. Oh, this is just a glorious day. Just a, well, you're just coming, you're just speaking out of your mind if you say those words each time. Depend on your spirit. Pull from your spirit. What's the spirit of God telling you to be praying? Well, that's what tongues is for. Sure, tongues will do that. But if you pray with your understanding, you engage your faith. And we looked at Peter and some of the things that he did engaged his faith. That's why he was, when he opened his mouth, he spoke out of his spirit. His spirit was activated. He had engaged his faith the whole way over there. And that's something we, we need to do more of. In chapter 30, 1 Samuel verse 1, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag attacked, Zig, and, and, and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. Now some of the setting on this is that David had fled from Saul and he decided, I can't stay in the land of Israel anymore. I have to leave. So he went over to the land of the Philistines. That's the enemy. And he told them he would go out and he would raid in the land of Israel. He, understand this. He did raids in the land of Israel. Not in other lands. In the land of Israel. He came and he would attack cities and wipe everybody out. So that nobody could tell well, what had gone on. But the cities he attacked were not inhabited by Israelites. They were inhabited by foreigners in the land. So he was helping to purge the land of the foreigners that Saul was supposed to be doing, but Saul was too involved in chasing after David. So that wasn't going on. So he would come in there and he'd wipe out the entire town. Well, God had told him to wipe out all the inhabitants of the land, so he just was coming in there and doing that. But he wiped them all out. But when he came back and reported to the Philistines, they said, where were you raiding? And he didn't say that I was raiding foreign lands. He said, I was raiding Israelite towns. And so it made the, it gave the impression to the king of the Philistines that he was despised by the nation of Israel. So that set up this chapter. Because now Philistines are going to war with Israel. And so David's kind of expected to go. They don't like you anyway. So come on. So he goes along. Now, he's got 600 men with him. How many of you think that all 600 men are on board with going to Israel and attacking them? I'll bet you there were some that were not. Could it be, be a majority? And for some reason, David decides to go along, not to blow the cover. I don't know what it is that David decides to do. For some reason, David decides to go along with this and to be there. But truthfully, folks, David should not be here in this battle. He shouldn't be there. The Bible doesn't say it, but that doesn't mean that's not the, not the case. He was not there to, cut, to attack Israel. But that's what the Philistines are doing, is to come and attack uh, Saul and the, the people of Israel. So he comes along with them, and the people with the king, the Philistines, the other lords, they said, we don't want David to go, he's going to turn on us. And he said, no, no, he's on our side, look, he's already attacked the villages, they already despise him. And so there was discrepancy there, and so finally the other lords won out. And they sent David home. So David went on home. Now David's probably thinking, well, glory to God, that worked out well. I didn't blow my cover. And I don't have to attack Israel. He's probably thinking, man, this thing worked out well. Until they get to Ziglag. When they get back home to Ziglag, it was burned. 
So that's the setup for it. That kind of changes some of the things. You know, why did God let this all happen? I don't think David should have been there at all. They all should have been back there guarding the place and then nobody would have raided it. But that's not what they did. So verse 2. And had attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone. Isn't that amazing? They came on in there and didn't kill anyone. Now part of that was there was no warriors to defend. David had taken all the warriors with him. Everyone who held the spear, sword, all that, they were all with David. There was no one in the city to defend it. So if there's no one to defend it, there's no battle. So they just kind of came in and they just surrendered. So that's part of the reason why no, there's no reason to kill anybody because nobody's resisting yet. They just marched on in. So David and his men came to the city. And there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, they don't understand at this point that everyone's alive. They don't see dead bodies, but they don't know that everyone's alive. They don't know what condition everyone is in because they come and the city is burned and the people are gone and all their stuff is gone. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. So they were going out to a battle that they probably shouldn't have gone to, that everyone was probably not in agreement about going to. When they came back, disaster had hit. Now, if you were of those who probably disagreed with David, there's at least some of them on there, if you were of those who disagreed with David, wouldn't you be coming up and say, David, we told you, don't go. We told you not to go out there and do it. You went anyway, and now look. We've lost everything. And so they got mad at David. And David, it says, was distressed because they're all talking, let's stone this guy. Now understand how this changed. Every single one of these men is people who he picked up no one else wanted. They were the downcasts in society. The guys who were tossed out as not having any talent, any ability. No one wanted them. And he raised them up to become some of the fiercest fighting machine that was out there. They were a great fighting force. And later on, you know, of course, in the Samuel, we, we find out some of the things, the great feats that they did in the area of fighting and war. And it was tremendous. But these were people no one wanted. So David picked them up, made them into someone. They now had stuff because of David. They had wives and children because of David. They didn't have any of that before. Because of David, they got all. So everything they've got is because of David. David's had a hand in it. David believed in them. David put them in a position to, re- to get stuff. And now they're ready to kill him. <laughs> so if you're David, what are you thinking? Man, these ungrateful guys. All the stuff I did for them, how I helped them, how I trained them, how I believed in them, and now they want to turn on me. So you got a lot of this kind of stuff going on. Don't just read over this. Put yourself in the position of where these people are at and understand what's happening. There are some extra battles that are going on. And uh, they got so weary from all the discussion, battles, disagreements, weeping, whatever else was going on, that uh, some of them can barely carry on. I put in your outline that the, there are... Well, let me, let me jump, jump back a little bit to this one. Grief, disappointment, 
having things taken from us can cause very bad reactions in, in us, especially if we find a way to blame a leader or boss. Now, put yourself in the position here. Say that you work for a company and that company made a decision that you disagreed with and you thought it would be bad for the company if they did it. But they did it anyway. And as a result, the income for the company went down. And instead of you getting a raise, you got a pay cut. Got laid off. Got your hours cut. Some kind of negative thing like that. How would you feel about that boss? And I told them they shouldn't do this. No one wants to listen to me. <laughs> I put this in your outline here for you. There are Christians who give themselves over to influence and use of evil spirits, much like we can do with the Holy Spirit. There are Christians who give themselves over to the influence and use of evil spirits, much like we can do the Holy Spirit. This kind of thing will go on. In this thing we're here with David, there are some guys, and they are now substantial warriors, who probably rose up. Some of them may have even spoken and said, I told you, God did not want us to go. And use that as a launching point to come against David. They want to kill him. Does God want David dead? Absolutely not. He's anointed him to be king and for the Messiah to come from him as king. But he's got to become king first. So any inspiration that would come up that would be against David, where would it come from? It would come from the enemy. It wouldn't come from God at all. So these are people, Jewish people, being used by the devil for a purpose they think is good. This is not the only time this happens in the Word of God. This happens often. How many times did the people rise up against Moses thinking they were doing something good? How many people did they rise up against prophets in the Old Testament thinking they were doing something good? How many people rose up against Jesus thinking they were doing something good? How many people rose up against Paul thinking they were doing something for the kingdom of God? You see, people can be used by evil spirits. We can yield ourselves to it the same way we can what is good. We're ta- I'm not talking heathens. We're talking Christians. Christian people can do this. Now, this isn't in your outline. This is in mine. There wasn't room in, in yours. But on a low level, on a low level, they talk about distracting things doctrines, questions, or about themselves even in a boastful way. But it is an influence of evil. When they come and they try and talk to Jesus about paying taxes. Wasn't that an inspiration of, the, uh, of evil? When they tried to tell the people, don't come on the Sabbath to be healed. Who inspired that? See, these kind of things come up. But we don't understand this is inspiration, not by God, but by the enemy. But there's low levels of this where people will do this and they speak out against the person thinking that they're doing something good. Low level, they talk about distracting things. They come into the service. They come into the place. They got the minister there. They got Jesus there. They got Paul there. They got Peter there getting ready for ministry. And they want to talk to him about something that doesn't matter. Why? To distract them. 
to get him from being spirit activated to get his mind going. Whatever it is that they can do. But they will do this. That's a low level. But there is a greater level. And of course, there's levels all in between. But some of the greater levels include opposing the man or woman of God, discouraging them, pressuring them to go in a different way than, than our God has spoken. Now, here's some examples of of some of some of those. Let me make sure I didn't put this in here for later. See, I was going through some stuff and I had a whole bunch of stuff written written down and accidentally wiped it out. So I think that this is uh this is where we wanted to to go. So I'll read these things off to you here anyway. Uh, I still have them in my head, so that was <laughs> that that is helpful. But you see, we God wants to use David to come in. Okay, David, you were where. Let's just assume for a moment that David was where he shouldn't be. And disaster happened. Does God want disaster to prevail? No, he wants David to help David come out of it. But in order for that to happen, we've got to get David in the spiritual mind frame. But you see, the people that are rising up around him, they aren't coming at this in the spiritual mind frame. They're pulling David down into distress. That's not going to help him. What do they need to do? What they need to do is something very difficult. They need to put their own grief aside. They got to put their own, I'm right. You were wrong, David. And they got to encourage him, David. What is God telling you to do now? And encourage him. Put him in a place that he can hear. Because what they need is for David to hear. Because there's none of those other bozos are going to hear how to get out of here. Not a one of them. They haven't risen up to that kind of leadership yet. They, some of them will. But they're not there yet. That's not what's going on. So they need David to help them to get out of this. Really doesn't make any difference how they got there, does it? Haven't you ever seen that? Sometimes you get yourself in a, in a pickle. And how you got there really doesn't make any difference. What do you want to know? How do I get out? How do I fix this thing? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How does David strengthen himself in the Lord his God? Does he pray in tongues? No. Why? They don't pray in tongues in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not telling you don't pray in tongues. I'm telling you you're praying in tongues for the right things. The Word of God says building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. It's a great way to build yourself up. It's a great way to pray the plan of God that you don't know. There's some great things about praying in tongues and you ought to do it. But don't put it in the wrong place. You gotta do the, the right thing. How, how many of you have a, a big set of kitchen knives? Got like, you know, 15, 20, 30 sets, 30 knives in there. You know, they all have a different purpose. You may pull out, and there's, there's a couple of those knives. I just like the way they look. I like to use those knives because I just like the way they look. I think they look sharp. They look, they look cool. I like the really wide blade ones, not the real narrow ones. But you see, the real wide blade ones are for certain functions. The real narrow ones are for other functions. If you try and flip-flop them and use them in the wrong application, the knife won't work as well. You've got to use the right knife in the right application. The right knife do wonders for you. That's why they give you 15, 20, 30 different knives. Because there's different purposes for it. And you go and you grab one knife and you cut the string beans and then you cut, grab another knife and you cut the chicken. But you don't use the same knife to cut both. You need different different things going on with that. So he strengthened himself in the Lord. He did not have tongues. He didn't have the infilling Holy Spirit either. Those are not things that he had. 
What he did have, he had faith. He had hope. He had trust. He had God's Word and the promise of God's Word. He had the promises in God's Word. These are the things that he had. This is what he used. He went after God. God, what shall we do? And God gave him a plan. God gave him a direction. That gives you hope. God had spoken to him. David, you're going to be king over Israel. What should he do with that? God, you said I'd be king over Israel. That doesn't mean I come here and die. But God, in remembrance of his word. God, I trust that what you said will come about. And when God says, go out there, what do you do? You go out there. You see, these are the things that you do to trust, to, to uh, strengthen yourself. Operate in faith. You get into worry, anxiety, fear, depression. That doesn't strengthen you. That pulls you down. you got to go back. What has God said for me in this situation? Have trust in it. Let it build hope on the inside of you. And let that hope activate your faith and act on it. That's how you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Get, I'll give it to you again. Get the Word of God. Know what the Word said. He may have spoken to something to you verbally. He may have spoken something to you in your spirit. He may have spoken something to you in your Word, in the Word. Whatever it is, whatever you have, you've got something. If He hasn't spoken anything to you individually, He has spoken to you something general in the Word of God. Use that. Get His Word. Develop trust in that Word. God, I trust that what you said, you will do. Let that word build hope in you. All right, if this is what you said, then this is where I'm going in the future. This is what I have out there. Then have faith to act on it. You want to build yourself up, follow those four things. You'll build yourself up. You'll strengthen yourself in the Lord. Go back to what he said. Trust what he said. Build hope on what he said and then have faith in what he said and go out there and do it. You want to know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Don't just have a little phrase that you throw around. That's how you're going to do it. Now, if you've got a better way to strengthen yourself in the Lord, I'm all ears. Tell me about it afterwards. But I'll bet you not a single person here has a better way to build to strengthen yourself up in the Lord than that. Don't be doing this, this spacey stuff. Well, I'll just go away and pray in the Spirit for an hour. That would be great for building up your spirit, but not strengthening you. But we expected to strengthen me, and when it doesn't, then I get discouraged. So, that's what David did. If you want to put that verse on your refrigerator, then you've got to do what David did. What did David do? <laughs> Follow after his example on that. Go after that that way. But going back to this, this part here, where we're, we're looking at that evil spirits come along and they mimic, mimic the things of God. And they try and get you to go in the wrong direction. Here's the thing that will happen. If you do not learn how to resist the, the influence of other spirits beside God, it will corrupt what you do. It will corrupt, if you are a teacher, it will corrupt your teaching. I'll give you an example. How many people did Paul have that he raised up as teachers who went off and taught something different? How many people did he warned us about? Beware of these two. They teach that the resurrection has already come. And they undermine the faith of some. He tells you, beware of them. Why? Because he raised them up, but they went into a different direction. 
they got into the doctrines of demons. And it took them in the wrong way. And so they began to teach wrong things. It affected, they had a gift in that area to teach, but it affected it wrongly. It hurt them. That's not what you, you want to do. I'll give you an example. I've, I've only, I think I've said this to a few people. I don't know if I've ever said this publicly. But I'll go ahead and say it publicly if I never have before. But there's a particular singer that I had to resist listening to their music. Because I liked it. I liked their music. It wasn't Christian music. And I liked it. And I began to ponder, why, is, why do I like this music? I like the tune. I like the way it makes me feel. This is, this is good. You know, get that stuff out of here. I don't want that stuff. But you get, you know, you, you, I'm not always in charge of the music that's being played. You're walking around the stores and here's that music. Oh, you look at the movies. This particular one, he, um, he wrote a lot of things for movies. So a lot of movies you go to, oh man, I like that song. <laughs> it's really, really, it's really a good song. I like that song. You know, there wasn't anything vile about it. It was just, a, it was just a nice song. And so, you know, you listen to these things and, and, um, this, this, there's no authority on this. This just kind of came up on, on the inside of me on this. Is that um, that person had a call on their life in the area of worship. But they walked away from it. And they went into a different direction. And they used the gift they had for music in another way. Now I know you're all wondering, who in the world am I talking about? Anybody wondering it? Yeah. Alright, I know Nikolai back there, he knows because we talked about it. <laughs> I love the music of Elton John. I just, I just, I, he does movies. I just, I just listen to that. I, says, I could so see this becoming worship music. Being written to the Father. But it wasn't written for the Father. It was written for another, another purpose. And he went down a very wrong direction. I don't listen to his music. I don't encourage anybody to listen to his music. What I'm telling you is you can have a gift in the area of, of music that never materialized in the area of the of, uh, of uh, worshiping God. But the gift was still there. It can still be there. And just, it, got, it got corrupted. Things, uh, things happened to it. How about the area of wisdom? Is wisdom a gift from God? It certainly is. And in the Old Testament, we have an example of wisdom being corrupted. There was a particular one that said of him, that said the words of Ahithophel were like hearing from God himself. And he sided himself with the rebellion against David. Again, who is motivated to come against David? The enemy's kingdom. We've got to wipe out David. David is the line for which Messiah is coming. We've got to kill David. We've got to pull David into sin. We've got to do something to get David out of this thing. We, if we can stop David, we can stop the Messiah. That's the goal. And so Ahithophel was pulled over. And David said... Man, that's, that's, that hurts. Oh, that hurts because I know he hears, he, his wisdom is like hearing from God, he said. And he gave counsel in the rebellion that if followed, it may have wiped them out. But God had, uh, his friend, Hushai, and he said, look, you go back and you, uh, you, uh, say things go against the counsel of Ahithophel. And so he did, and God used them, and the counsel of Ahithophel was still just as wise. Now, why was it wise if it was you being used against God? Why did that happen? I'll give you another example. There were people in the Old Testament who prophesied. 
And there are two kings who came together, King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat, and they were going to go into battle together. And King Jehoshaphat said, let's call the prophets of, of the Lord. And so they called in the prophets of the Lord and they prophesied. Thus shall you succeed in the battle. And then with these horns shall you gourd the enemy. <laughs> Things like that. And they got props in this one. And so uh, Jehoshaphat picked up that something wasn't quite right. And so he said, is there not a messenger of the Lord we can inquire? And he says, well, there's this one guy, you know, I don't like him because he's always saying bad things about me. Oh, don't say that. Go get him. So they got Micaiah and they brought Micaiah in. Micaiah, of course, was counseled. He says, no, you know, everybody's saying this, go along with them. So Micaiah came in and he goes, he says, go and prosper. The Lord will be with you. But he must have said it with some kind of sarcasm because they have even picked up and said, look, haven't I always told you? Just tell me the words of God. And so his, I think his whole countenance just changed. I don't know that for sure because we just read it in the Word of God. But I, as I read that story, I see his entire countenance change. And he said, I saw all Israel on the mountain, in the valleys, in the hills, as sheep without a shepherd. And Ahab said, see, he doesn't say anything good about me. Take him away. They're going to, as he's calling him, calling him um, taking him away. He says, if you come back alive, I am not a prophet of God. Now, that's not the only instance that it comes. But you see, you've got to be careful because you're gifting. I don't care how, how careful, I don't care how mature you think you are. Your gifting can be used for evil. Look at this. Peter, after a great confession of what God had revealed to him, goes to Jesus and says, you ought not to be teaching this. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Judas had a gift for money. I don't know that because the Word of God says it. I know it because Jesus picked them. Why would Jesus pick somebody to guard over the money if he didn't have a gift for money? Did that gift not get corrupted? And did not thereby corrupt him? Corrupt him? Now, I keep on speaking to you about examples in the Word of God of people who had a gifting and it turned bad. We didn't even talk about Saul. So what was Saul's gifting? And how did that get turned around? And yet, Saul would go out to battle and God would still use him, wouldn't he? He would still use and deliver Israel. Don't get, don't get mistaken. Just because you see a gift of God in operation does not mean God's behind it. So how in the world do you know? <laughs> Have you, does that make you a little scared? Man, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? Oh, it's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake to know. How many people would like to know the answer? How can I be sure that, how can I be sure that? All right, two people. I'll talk with you all afterwards. <laughs> I was doing some meditating on this. I said, Father God, how can we be sure that what we're receiving is from God and it's not from another source. I'm going to make you wait a week because I'm still meditating on some of it. But I, I started pulling some things. I started writing some stuff down. And um, you know, I was, I was, every time I, I hear some stuff from, from folks, I, I always go to God, God, what about this? How, how does this go on? What's going on in this? And so far, I've got four things that will easily identify, easily identify, good or bad. So we'll go over that. It'll fit in better with next week's thing anyway. And what we're going to gonna do. There was a situation that happened with me in ministry. 
And I know I have never told you about it. I know it. Because I haven't told it really to anybody. Except I think my wife knows about it. I don't think anybody else ever knows about this story. And uh, I was meditating on some of the things we're going to get into next week. And I thought, actually I was meditating a couple of weeks ago. I said, God, you're going to make me get into that story, aren't you? <laughs> so, we'll see. I'm going to give myself another week to talk them out of it. <laughs> but those are some things to come. But I know I've never shared it with you. There's still a few stories. You know, we've been around for a long time. But there's still a few stories I've never told you. It was probably one of the most damaging things that happened to me in ministry. Nearly nearly knocked me out. It didn't. But it, it came close. So we'll see. But don't let these things scare you. You can know if something's of God. You can know it. God is not out there trying to, to get you to be wondering. Remember Jehoshaphat? Can we not get a good prophet here? Because he picked up that wasn't right. If he did it in the Old Testament, how much more can you do it in, in the New with the indwelling Holy Spirit on the inside of you? And just because you can do it doesn't mean you will. But just ponder that. Understand that so there are Christians who give themselves over to the influence and the use of evil spirits. Much like we can do with the Holy Spirit. They do it. There was some time ago, way back in the, in the beginning, we had a lot of people who um, did things in the area of prophecy that um, were not right. And it caused some problems here in the, in the church. And there was a particular group, I'm not going to name the church, I think I still could name it. I have never been inside this church. Uh, but a number of the people in the church, none of which are here now, but a number of the people that were here in the church go, had gone to this church and been in there and were in for this prophetic cha- uh, training. We're, this, we're talking two decades ago, I think. It was a while. And they were in there for this prophetic training. And so my, my wife was suspicious of it. But she said, well, if people are going, I'm going to go check it out. So she went and checked it out and she came back and she told me about it. And uh, I'll tell you what, they were, they were prophesying over chairs and clocks and pulpits and all sorts of stuff. And it was just, it was sad. But anyway, they were, they were doing this. So one of the things we did was we were trying to help out with, with that because we didn't want to squash. The Word of God says don't despise prophecy. You know why you can despise prophecy? Because of people who do funny things with it. Then you despise it just to get rid of it all. So we didn't want to get rid of it all. We wanted to keep it around. So we came up with some things of what to do for it. One of those things was, you know, if you have a prophecy, write down what it's about. And then give it to uh, Usher and they'll get it to me. And, and uh, mostly it was just that we'll find the right place for it. We'll find the place where it goes. Not that, you know, we're just going to judge it. And Well, a lot of times people are writing down the entire prophecy. I didn't, that's fine if you wanted to do that, but I, I didn't want to put you through all that work. Just give me an idea of what it's about. You know, is it an exhortation? Is it comfort? Is it edification? What exactly is the prophecy? And then we can go out there for where, where it fit. And so um, uh, one of the persons who was in with that group who went out there to this, um, came by here in the church some years ago. Came by here. There was a particular conference that we had, and we did not put on, but they used our building. And so they came on out here to, to, to do this. That particular conference had actually snowed, and I was just going around taking care of things. for what was, I was actually out there clearing cars 
and stuff like that in the snow because it wasn't it wasn't by me. I wasn't over here to, to oversee the, the thing and so forth. But I was in here long enough doing the sound that this particular woman stood up and said this out of her mouth. I remember this to this day because of what was going on. Said this out of her mouth. She said, well, I don't know exactly what the procedure is here for giving a word, but God has given this to me, so I'll just speak it. Now, that, now most people would hear that and would not be able to pick up what it was. I knew exactly what it was. It was from the rebellion because that woman knew exactly what the rules were because she was one of the reasons why we came up with them. Knew it. Didn't like it. Fought it. Knew exactly what those rules were. I said, that person is still in rebellion to this day. And afterwards, she was telling me about all these things. We can come in here. I can tell people how to activate their prophecy. No, thank you. We don't, we don't need to have that going on. Now, that person who sponsored it, we haven't had back. We didn't bring that, that thing on back and, uh, after that. But anyway, that's what had come in. But you see, those kind of things will, will come out. First off, if you don't know how to bring out a prophecy or a song or something in a church, what should you do? <laughs> Shut your mouth. No, what God gave me is too important. Boy, I tell you what, if you could only understand stand how wrong that is the pride that comes out what i have is too important i have to give it the pride that comes out what does god say about the proud he resists them that means god's not using you folks now look at this in verse seven then david said to abiathar the priest ahimelech's son please bring the ephod here to me and abiathar brought the ephod to david and david inquired of the lord saying shall i pursue the troop Shall I overtake? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That's a pretty good word, isn't it? So David went. Now this is interesting because what did they bring? The ephod. You know what the ephod does? The ephod said yes or no. That's all the ephod can do. The ephod can only say yes or no. If you bring a request to God, the the ephod will say, yes, do it. No, don't do it. That's it. That's all, that's all the F out of God can do. But what, is that, what happens here? So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake? What's going to be the answer from the ephod? Yes or no? Some years back we did a, a little thing on the F out of God, if you remember, remember that. We talked more about that. I'm not going to get into it all now. But that's basically what it does. Yes or no? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David goes in looking for a yes or no answer. Apparently somebody got a prophetic word and spoke it out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So David went, he and his 600 men who were with... I just wanted you to see that because that's kind of buried in there. We just read that and we think, oh. So a word came out. They asked God and God answered. No, what they asked God for was a yes or no answer and God gave them a lot more. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate. They let him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites 
in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to, his, to this troop. When he had brought him down, there they spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So this guy says, all right, as long as you don't kill me, I'll take you down. So apparently he was able to. However it was, he was left behind for three days, but he somehow either knew where they were going or whatever it was, he was able to take them down. And so if they had stayed back and wept and mourned and looked for deliverance, would they have run into this young man? If they had waited any longer, would this young man still be alive? Sounds like he was on his way out. No food, no water. Three days they left him. He was already sick. I don't think he had much more time. So they had to obey what God said right away in order to get this, this word from this guy. And then he took them on down to the camp. And when they looked over, they're all spread out. You know why? Because they had taken great livestock from the land of the Philistines and the areas of Judah. And because of all the livestock, they had to spread out far so they could feed the livestock. And so what David was able to do with the 600 men is come down to a larger troop and attack a small group here, 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 and eventually wipe them all out. He did not take them all on at one because they were all spread out. And so they would go through and, and to, uh, to kill them all and to take all their stuff. So they lost some stuff and they gained back a whole lot more. So David went from having enough for his needs, a little bit more, to having surplus. He became a very rich man overnight. And so did the people he was with. So that was pretty good, wasn't it? Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was, was lacking either small or great, sons or daughters, spoiler or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Now again, you can read over this and totally skip something very important that probably happened inside here. Think about this. Ladies, if your husband left you by yourself and a bunch of people came in and took you captive, and when he comes back and he gets you, after you're thanking him for coming to get you, what's your next step? What's the next thing you're going to do? Why did you leave me? Why did you have somebody here to protect us? Why did you? <laughs> How many of you know that's probably going on? There's <laughs> probably a few husbands that are getting slapped a little bit. Because <laughs> this didn't, uh, this didn't, this, this shouldn't have gone on. Whatever it was. I don't know if they were studying David, if they understood that David left them all un, uh, unprotected and decided to move in. Whatever it might have been. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken from them. David recovered all, everything. Not a sheep, not a goat, not a child, not a wife, not a rabbit, nothing. Now my Bible has in the margin, except the cats, the cats all die. That's just that's a little note in my Bible. It may not be in yours, but... Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. <laughs> you all ready to kill me. This is mine. 
Y'all weren't y'all ready to kill me? We were going to get nothing. So this is all. This is stuff here. This is my stuff. Now David came to the two hundred men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David, apparently he still had some, (laughs) answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children. They may lead, lead them away and depart. They didn't even want them to be with them anymore. We didn't even want you guys on our team. Take your wives and go. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? In other words, who's going to be on your side? They're all on my side now. <laughs> I just led them into a great victory because I followed after what God did. So he's strengthened. But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So they learn from their mistake. And here's what they do. From now on, we're going to leave some people back to guard the stuff. And whoever stays back to guard the stuff shares in the spoil with those guys who go out and gets it. Otherwise, who's going to want to stay back and guard the stuff? So they made this an ordinance. You know why they made a new ordinance? Here's the thing. They had a potential problem that had never become a problem. This is not the first time they left the city unguarded. They've done it before. But it never had been a problem before. But now it was. So now they said, all right, now we're going to fix this. Now we're going to have a, an ordinance and we're going to do things in a, in a new way. And I'll tell you what. When you do things in a new way, people resist. People resist. They don't like it. Seven last words of the church. You all know what they are? We never did it that way before. <laughs> That's the seven last words of the church. My dad used to talk about that all the time. I don't know who talked about it before him, but it's It's true. You know, whenever we change something that goes on here in the church, there's always resistance to it. Always resistance to it. People don't, we didn't do it that way before. We don't, we don't like it that way. You know, I, I think sometimes of the ministries we have here at church, and really we only have a handful of, of actual ministries that involve teams. You know, we have the children's church. We have the worship team. We have the Sunday morning teams that uh, get together. And those are the three major things that we have. Everything really is, is generally that goes on is, is a, a part of those those things. When we make changes over in children's church, you know there are some people who don't don't like it. You know we had to make a change um, a couple of years ago. God was dealing me on something to do. We made a change over there, and I knew people wouldn't like it. But we we did that, and um, you know people have uh, seen some of the results and some of the things that are going on with that. But uh, even so, you know we're, we're making more changes. As you come up, you expose problems. When you come up with a problem, you have to come up with an ordinance. How are we going to fix this problem so it doesn't come up again? And what are we going to do to, to, to work that out? And so well, we're in Sunday school ministry and children's church ministry, super church ministry, whatever we have going on over there. Sometimes things come up and we have to fix on, on problems. All right, well, how do we get this thing to, to coordinate? Now, you can be on the side that resists 
or you can be on the side, let's, let's fix this thing, let's get it going. Sometimes on the area of worship, you know, in the area of worship, we've, uh, we've instituted some things, and we talked to some of you about it, and the uh, worship team, we talked to quite a bit about it. And as things have gone on, you know, we've had uh, more things added uh, a number of years ago. How many years ago has it, was it now? Uh, Nikolai was added to our team, who brought a lot of things in the, in the area of instruments. And he knows things in the area of sound. You know, he went to school for sound. You know, I did sound in school. I don't talk about that a whole lot, but I did sound in school. When I was in college, I did a lot. I was the sound guy in college. I probably have never told you that, but I was the sound guy in college. I did sound for two very famous musicians who have albums. I did their sound at the concert. I didn't do it because I was so good. I did it because no one else was there. I was it. And so when I sat up their sound, I was, I ran all the cables. I did all the speakers. I did all the pulls and pushes and, and I did it all. There was no assistant. There was no helper. I set it all up. I talked to the musicians to find out what they wanted and I was in the back there doing it. So I can tell you some names of people that I talked to face to face, worked with them on the, on the, the thing and they just came out by themselves and you're just a small school, you know, probably didn't pay for the whole team to come out and he probably would have had a, Sound person to, to do all that. But I did all that. I did sound for a radio station that was on 50 radio stations across the country. I did the sound. I did the recording. I did the, the taping. I did a whole mess of stuff with that. With uh, getting that ready. But I'm not a sound guy. So, you know, whenever we're doing something back there, I always uh, ask Nikolai. Nikolai, you want it done this way? How do you want it to, 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 to be done? Because he's got some expertise in that. So when he was added to the team... We got expertise now on, on instruments and how to do, th- do some things. And so he was added in on, on that. Alyssa came in on the team and she was added, added, able to add some things in the vocals. To this day, I still hear people in the church. I don't know if it comes from the worship team. I don't see how it could possibly come from the worship team, but people in the church saying, we're not sure who's in charge. Now, if anybody in the worship team says that, all I have to, all I have to, if you ever say it to me, I just say, read your handbook because it's right in there. Who's in charge of each area? That's all you got to do. If anyone else in the church wants to say, well, we don't know who's in charge. We've got Nikolai doing this and Alyssa doing that and Phyllis doing this and, and then pastors in there doing some other stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, with the people who know, we spelled it all out. They all know exactly who's in charge of what. And if anybody goes to somebody else beside what they're in charge of, it's their fault because it's written down. But no matter what ministry we have, whenever you try and change some things, you always get some people who buck the system. Guess what side you're on when you are? Hello. I'm just talking frankly here, folks. Because I'd rather talk frankly to you and get all this stuff out of the way than have to deal with it otherwise. Now, there was, a, there was a comparison. I was talking to God about this. It says, God, there's an area of church we don't have any of those problems in. Why is that? And I think he told me the reason for, for it. I just want to check it out a little bit more before I bring that out to you. We never seem to have that problem in this, this particular area. And... uh I didn't like the answer he gave me on it. So I'll check it out some more and we'll, we'll see where they're going to... I don't mind saying it if I know that God said it. <laughs> I just always like to make sure that that's there. But you see, no matter when, what it is that you have going on, you always have to make changes to make adjustments. Whenever you make adjustments, people don't like stuff. I liked it better this way. I, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, weeks back I put a cartoon 
Uh, I hardly ever hear anybody say anything about the cartoons. But I've usually sometimes even put a cartoon that has to do with the message, if I can find one. But I put one in there a while back. This is an older lady. She was saying, you know, we got hymns up on the screens and we got choruses in the hymnals. I'm not sure what we're, what we're not supposed to like anymore. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I, I enjoyed that. And uh, just don't get all, all flustered about stuff. Just, uh, you know, well, I don't want to do it that way. Well, you see, that's your problem. There's a, there's a thing that goes on on the inside of you. And it's good to work it out. You know, I've been in, in places where I work, and I didn't like something that they did. But guess what? <laughs> it's my job to go out there and to do it as they, they said it. There are some times that I said, well, yeah, I think it will work out better if we do it this way. No, 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 we're going we're gonna to go this way. You know, the pizza place I worked at, we had, anybody been over here at Sal's? You see those big ovens they have? And you, they, you can fit, fit about, um, you know, so many pizzas, large pizzas, I think you could fit maybe, uh, I forget whether it's eight, eight, I think eight pizzas we could put in there large, um, a few things in the front. And we had four of those, four of those ovens in the place. And I love those ovens. Not everybody could run those ovens on a Friday night. And we, we were staffed with about four guys who could do it. And I love those ovens. They made a better pizza. But they were having a hard time finding the people who could run the ovens because it was not a fun job. It was a hot job. You get burned a lot of times. I still have scars on my arms from times I got burned uh, on the ovens. And it's really easy to do. You just reach back, you grab the pizza, you pull it out, and if it slips off the pliers, your hand goes up into the heating element and the oven is heated to 550 degrees. Guess how hot the heating element is? It don't take more than a second to get burned on that sucker. But after you get burned, you've got to keep putting the arm back into the oven for as long as that shift goes on. And so not too many people wanted to do that. So they came up with a solution. They wanted to do a conveyor belt pizza oven where you put them in one eye and they come out the other. Now, there was more consistent results, but the pizzas weren't, wouldn't taste as good. I didn't think that tasted as good. And I didn't like it. But that's what they were going to do. <laughs> So guess what? I ran a conveyor belt. Man, this is boring. The other one was far more exciting. <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily like it. But that's what the... Uh, but you know, you got to... They, they had reasons for the change. And we had to, to go along with that. So just be careful. Make sure you're not on the wrong side of things. Because uh, I've been on the wrong side. And it's not a good place to be on the wrong side. You don't, want to, you don't want to go in that, in that direction. So not everyone was in agreement with it. I'm sure the wives were a little upset being left alone. I'm sure the guys were being... Some of them didn't want to do it that way. Some of them didn't want to go into battle at all. I put in your outline this. Guidelines expose bad attitudes. Guidelines are new ordinances. Expose bad attitudes and develop good attitudes. When you get a new ordinance that's put in and someone says, this is how we're going to do it, it will expose bad attitudes and it will develop good attitudes. You want a case from point for that? Look at some of the things that Moses brought out. All right, guys, we're going to do it this way now. And how many people like that? All right, guys, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to have manna fall down from heaven and here's the rules. Gather as much as you need for a day, but don't keep it for tomorrow. And what happened? <laughs> People kept some for the morrow. And now on the Sabbath day, don't uh, uh, collect twice as much. It'll keep. 
And what happened on the Sabbath day? Some people didn't collect twice as much and they went hungry the next day. What happened? Ordinances come in. This is how we're going to do it. It exposes bad attitudes and develops good ones. Once I learned that truth, folks, that helped me out. All right, every time I get in a place and they give an ordinance and I don't like it, it's an opportunity for me to expose bad attitudes and develop some good ones. And so I just followed after that. Made it much more exciting for me to take on things that I didn't necessarily like. Christians are often found focusing on purity, quality, and talent instead of attitude. The most important thing that you have in ministry, folks, is your attitude. If you have the right attitude, you can go a whole lot further. Purity, quality, and talent will also help. But they're not the thing, that, not the thing that's going to drive you the furthest. The thing that drives you the furthest is the attitude. And that will be what helps you out. Now, we said all that to bring us out to this, this part here in the end. Without great strength, great riches are unprotected and easily stolen. If God has put things on the inside of you, if He has put talent, if He has put a gift, if He has put a calling, if He has put one of these things on the inside of you, or several of these things on the inside of you, and that particular talent, that particular calling, that particular gifting is great, is something strong, is something good, you have got to develop something to protect it. I think I put this in your outline. Look back here and make sure. The more you move in for the kingdom of God, gifts, anointing, wisdom, understanding, faith, things like that, the more strength you need to protect it. So the more you're going to move in that area. Worship team, the more you move in the area of worship. Teachers, the more you move in the anointing of teaching. If you have one of the gifts of the Spirit in operation, the more you move in that particular gift of the Spirit, the more you, you, you function in that. Whatever the thing is that you are functioning, the more that you move in it, the greater that gift comes, the more strength you need to protect it. The enemy, the things that the enemy wants to get are first off, there's two things that the enemy wants to get. First off, possessions seen as valuable. Now we're not just talking the enemy of Satan, we're talking any enemy. The first thing the enemy wants to get is things that it sees as valuable. If a burglar comes into your house, do they take all the pictures from the refrigerator that the grandchildren drew? No, they want to take the refrigerator. They want to take the stereo. They want to take the iPads. The cell phones. They want to take things that have value. They want to go upstairs and look in the jewelry box. They want the things that have value. An enemy isn't interested in possessions that have value. The second thing that the enemy is looking to try and get weapons viewed as dangerous. Two things the enemy wants to steal from you, to get from you. One is possessions that it considers to be valuable. The second is weapons it considers to be dangerous. How many times have we as a country gone into war because we thought the enemy had dangerous weapons? We wanted to go in there and neutralize them before they used them in a wrong way. Isn't that right? The enemy is interested in possessions that are valuable and weapons that are dangerous. Your enemy, the devil, is the same way. If you have a possession that it considers to be valuable, it wants to come in and to steal it. If you have something that can be considered a weapon that is dangerous against his kingdom... He wants to knock it out. How many of you are familiar with the verse of Scripture that says the enemy comes to what? 
steal, kill, and destroy. The stealing is for the things that are our possessions that have value. The destroying is for the weapons that are seen as dangerous. And the killing is for you. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your anointing. He wants to kill your desire to move into the things of God. Or he wants to steal the things that you have that are valuable. Or he wants to destroy any weapon that you have that is aimed against his kingdom. He is here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those three things. Now from God's word, some of the weapons that we have, we have faith, we have hope, we have trust in God. These are weapons. The word of God talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith. And it goes on and has other weapons that we have. The enemy wants to come in. He wants to knock them out. He doesn't want them to function. He wants you to be exposed. So that's what he's going to come in and try and do. Going to try and knock these things out of, out of you. But you have got things that are. You have possessions that the enemy sees as valuable. You see, when you see somebody like a, an Elton John or a singer who has a tremendous gift in writing music and doesn't do it for the glory of God, the enemy has taken that gift. And he has stolen it because he saw it as something valuable. And now we're going to write songs that don't glorify the kingdom of God. We're going to write songs that do other things. And then other people who would write songs and seem to... I mean, I hear people talk about different ones in the rock. I don't listen to rock and roll. I, I, I don't know any of their, their songs. But I would hear them talk about how gifted these people are. And uh, it didn't sound gifted to me. But they would talk about how musically and how, how all the, but they used it for the wrong things. And they used it to steer people in the direction of, some of them even outright worship of Satan. Rebellion against parents. Rebellion in their sexual areas. Pulling them into drugs and other, other things like that. You see, they took something that was valuable and they stole it and they put it in, brought it into the kingdom. And they used it for themselves. And even sometimes we've seen churches that have people in the area of worship, worship leaders, who are using their music to influence people and doing great things in that area. But the enemy is able to get in and is able to steer them, to steal that, that gift and to bring people, instead of drink, bringing them to God, the gift brings them to that individual. And they split churches and they go off in directions and take people away from what's, what's important. These are the tactics of the enemy. You see, God has put these things in there. They're on the inside of you. And he wants you to draw from them in the area of ministry and to do good things. But the enemy sees that they're in there as well. And so he's going to try and get in there and draw those same things out and use them in a negative way. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Now, there's some things in the Word of God, some principles in the Word of God that will show you, that will help you stand guard on this. Because you've got to stand guard. You've got to be watchful over this thing. 
it's important. I hope uh, of all the things today that you saw in this is that there is something good on the inside of you. And that same good that God put on the inside can be used for evil or can be used for good. It can go either way. That gifting is there. What are you going to use it for? Do you remember a verse in the, in the, in the Word where Jesus said people would come to Him and say, Lord, we cast out demons in Your name. We healed the sick in Your name. And He said to them, what? Depart from Me, I never knew You. How is it that they could use something that was a gift of God and God say, I didn't know You? You see, just because that gift is on the inside of you doesn't mean that the right forces will bring it out. You've got to make sure that you go after it and let God bring it out. Whatever your anointing is, whatever's going on on the inside of you, whatever direction God is, is taking you, and everybody is he's, he's giving you different giftings. He's giving you different things that you can do. Use them for God. Use them for God. Don't get jealous about what somebody else has. Use them for God. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, you have put giftings, you have put important things, valuable things on the inside of us. We want to continue to learn how to pull those things out and use them in a good way. You put things inside of your servant David and he was gifted in the area of delivering Israel from the enemy. And even when he got discouraged in this story, he was able to draw down on that gift that you gave him and lead those men into a victory over a much bigger army and bring back every single one. What an amazing thing. Father, you have put amazing gifts on the inside of us. The enemy wants to use them for an evil thing. He wants to take our attitude, make our attitude bad, poor, Because if he can get our attitude bad, he can certainly turn the gift that God has put in the inside of us in the wrong direction. If he can get us to walk outside of love, we can get outside of the hope of God. If we can get away from the Word of God and the guidelines that it gives us, the ordinance that it puts down, how we to operate. If we can just extend and go beyond that a little, he can corrupt what God has put on the inside of us and what was intended for good can be used for evil. My Father, it doesn't have to be that way. We can follow after you and you'll develop our gift. You'll develop our anointing. You'll develop the thing that you put on the inside of us. Expose our attitude when it gets bad. And keep us in a good place. I thank you for the help that you give us in that. You are a great God. And you are a Father who looks out for us. Give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. How many of you would say here today, that's a different way of looking at that story. I hadn't quite learned that, that before. That was, uh, I want you all to know there are good things 
in every single one of you. And just because a believer in the body of Christ is using their good things in a bad way doesn't mean that they can't be turned. And it is better that we take someone in the body of Christ who is using what is good for what is in, in a bad way. It is better that we turn them than it is that we just write them off. You're no good. Cast them aside. And it's better that we always come back and check our own attitude. Because the number one thing that brings people down is their own attitude. Don't let that don't let that hurt you. Glory to God. Alexis has a praise report. It says, On Tuesday, I failed my CFP exam for the third time. An hour after receiving my results, I saw this quote. When things sometimes don't go your way, remember that maybe they are going God's way and then expect the unexpected because great things are surely coming. On Wednesday, I had a conversation with my manager that I would be receiving a significant salary increase. <laughs> Thank God for the unexpected and his plans for my life. Wow. <laughs> I did do a double take on the top. This is a praise report, right? Because I saw the first sentence. And I said, all right, well, I'll just keep reading. <laughs> Glory to God. Deetra is asking prayer for favor and safe trips this week. Texas, oh, Dallas. Going to Texas. Look at that. You're driving? Oh, okay, good. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we'll have the ECPACE too. They are traveling uh, a long way. You seem to be the only representative of the family here that's here. Your husband had to go off to work? Yeah. Oh, we got another one over in here. All right. Well, we will pray over them too. Because they, uh, now what day do you actually head out? You head out tomorrow. Okay, I knew it was this week. I didn't know it was tomorrow. Oh, wow. And uh, Ms. Dietrich, what day do you all head out? Friday. You head out Friday. All right. Got one more praise report to Ms. Arav. I thank God for one successful year of pharmacy school. A wonderful time of rest with my family and my church at Zoe. And I thank God for your love, support, and prayers. I also thank God for... Um, Protecting me and my my belongings while I was away from from um, oh, from a home, a neighbor crashed into my house, causing damage that needed repairs. I was not hurt because I was away, <laughs> but I love. But I have been assured that my belongings are safe and repairs are going on. And tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> Isn't that that great? All right, we're going to pray over these folks who are are going. And let's all stand up again. Glory to God. Well, come on up here to the, to the front. Let's just um, lay, lay hands on you. Now, Brother Victor is staying back. He's not going, right? I thought that's the way the, the plan was, yeah. They're probably going to pray for him over there. We'll let them. Hey, look at that. Brother Jolly is here by uh, Facebook. Some, something live. <laughs> yeah, come on up. And uh, we'll, we'll come on. Yeah, Victor, have the hands from the from behind. Glory to God. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you. Safe trip for both Jolly and Mercy. 
that, Father, you watch over them and the family as they head over there. I thank you, Father, that plane ride is just smooth, that you are going before them to straighten out all the ways and taking, making the crooked ways straight. Thank you, Father, that there'll be things that the enemy tried to do that they won't even know about because it was stopped beforehand. I thank you, Father, that they listen to the voice of the Spirit. They follow when they do what you say to do. They check all the things that you say to check. And Father, I thank you for people on this plane and this family that are sensitive to the things of God and that they are hearing. While they're there, we thank you for the ministry time that will go on because every place you take them, you minister to people. We just thank you, Father, for the messages they'll be able to teach, the prayers they'll be able to make, the lives of people that they are changing, the healings that will go on. Father, we just thank you for it. We look forward to hearing the reports yes. of all that you're doing and for a great time of just relaxation yes, and enjoying of the family that's there. Thank In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Glory to God. And Father, we thank you for this trip to Texas, that it will be a smooth one. And Father, you go before to straighten out all the ways that need to be straight. And Father, that you speak to them down in their spirit to guide and direct them and all the things that they should do. We thank you for a time of rest, time of visiting, a good time for them. We give you the praise and the glory for it. That your peace goes with them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Going for a week? No, we're going to Southwest. Oh, you're going to a conference. All right. And you guys are going for almost four weeks? Yes. And coming back right before everybody goes off to school. 